Christmas is all about good news, and that's what I want us to focus on today. Uh, the very first Christmas, Jesus' birth was announced by an angel saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Um, Christmas is all about good news. This word, uh, good news, is where we get our word gospel, or actually gospel is where we get our words good news. The, the name gospel actually means good news. So when we say we're, we are telling the good news, what we're saying is we're going to tell the gospel. And when this angel came and says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, what the angel is saying is I'm bringing you the gospel. So I want to take some time today to talk through what that gospel is. Uh, if you were given three minutes, let's say you're in a conversation and you're given three minutes to explain the gospel, do you think you could do it? Um, if maybe you're panicking a little bit right now, <laughs> I hope to equip you for that today. So one of the goals behind this message this morning is to make you feel confident with the message, what, with what the gospel is, with how to communicate, how to share the gospel. Um, Last year, some friends and I, we, we really got into um, trying to articulate and trying to get better and better and better at sharing the gospel. And so one of the ways we challenge each other is we'd say, uh, we, we did what we called a 60-second challenge. So it was uh, one of these deals where we'd go, uh, we'd, we'd call each other, we'd be sitting at lunch, and we'd sit down, you know, get our food, sit down, and somebody would go, all right, 60 seconds, ready, set, go. And you have 60 seconds to communicate the gospel. Well, that's fun. Like, uh, I used to call guys and, and get them to do that, and it's a good challenge. I encourage you, at lunch today, when you sit down with your lunch today, sit up, look across the table at somebody and go, okay, you got 60 seconds. Ready? Get set. Go. Share the good news. See, it's meant to be shared, and it should be right here on your tongue all the time. You should be easy. It should be ready to share it. But let's just admit it. It's not that easy, right? Most all of us probably struggle with how to tell the gospel. So what I want to do, one of the goals that I have for today is to help you feel more comfortable. Help you be ready to share the good news. What is the gospel? Um, that's one of my goals. Two other goals is I want us to see um, not only the clarity of the message. I want to help make that clear. But I also want you to see the urgency. Why, why is it important that we share the gospel now? I think this is one of the easiest lies that the enemy does is he says, I know you've got this message, but just wait on the right moment. Let's just, let's wait on circumstances to be easy and everything to be good. Let's wait on the right moment. And when that moment comes, then you share. And there's something to that, being sensitive. But I want to say to us that we ought to be more on the ready than we are. Um, so there's an urgency to share the good news and then... Uh, lastly, I just want to call us to action. Like this message, this gospel demands that we go and tell uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. So um, again, I, I just want to move kind of quickly today. Um, Christmas, we're moving into that season. We've literally got three weeks until we get to Christmas. So here's what I want to do for the next three weeks. I want to spend three Sundays together in one verse. Luke chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10. So find your, find your place there, Luke chapter 2. And it's the, the verse I just quoted to you a moment ago. I'd love for you to just meditate in chapters 1 and 2 
of Luke over the next several weeks. Just really focus in. But verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, and today we're going to focus on good news for, of great joys next week that will be for all the people. So those are the next three weeks lined up for you. But let's stand together and we'll read this whole passage. Luke chapter 2, um, verses 8 through 14 is what I want to read. And as you're standing, finding your place in Luke chapter 2, here's what I want to ask you. You probably read this verse, the, this passage, every Christmas maybe. Uh, I know it's a tradition with my family. We get together and we read from Luke chapter 2. Uh, we, we usually sing some songs and then we exchange gifts. It's just sort of a way of bringing the focus back to Jesus before the craziness of the gift exchange, right? Um, but Luke chapter 2 is usually our go-to. So I want to encourage you as we read, don't let this just be something you read every year, a tradition that you do. Listen to this story unfold and hear it fresh this morning. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Father, um, help us today to really get a grip on the gospel. And I, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, help us to hear this story unfold as if it's unfolding for us right now. Like angels appearing in the sky and announcing that Christ has come Christ has come. It's good news. A Savior is here. What would we do with that message? If it's brand new like that, what do we do? God, I think maybe for, for many of us, this news is, is not news anymore. It's old. And I pray, God, that you bring it to life again today. May this be fresh on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So when this angel came, declaring, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The good news the angel's referring to is that um, Jesus has come. God has come in the in flesh. He's come to be with us. That was uh, the name that was given. Um, it was told to Mary to, that she was going to name this child Emmanuel or name him Jesus. But Emmanuel means God with us. So Jesus coming is God actually coming to be with you and with me. And this is good news because here's the deal. We can't get to God, but God came to us. So I want to help us today. I want to give you um, some handles for what is the gospel. Before we do that, though, I just want to kind of paint a picture of what's happening in this story. So when we take our Bibles, 
and uh, we, we find our place usually you know, in the New Testament. So the New Testament begins in, in this copy of God's Word right here. And there's a blank page here that separates the New Testament from the Old Testament, or you might would call it the Old Covenant. So this is the way that God related to His people in the Old Testament, right? Then there's this one little page that when you finish uh, Malachi, the last little minor prophet, you've got this one little page to turn. You turn that page and you get Matthew and you get the start of the New Covenant. So it's just one page, right? I think we miss the point sometimes that this, is, this little page represents about 400 years in time. So about 400 years passed where God was somewhat silent and God didn't really um, speak like He had been speaking through the prophets. You got guys like Zechariah and Malachi and Obadiah and Habakkuk and Nahum. And these guys are standing before the people of God and they declare, they say, Thus says the Lord. That's what a prophet does. A prophet hears from God and says, Thus says the Lord. And they make a declaration. God is speaking and here's what our God wants to say to you. This little page is 400 years where that does not happen. And there's a long silence from God Almighty. And this angel is the breaking of a silence from God. Our God who's, who's become, you know, um, mythical maybe, folklore. You know, it's been passed down that God is real and God speaks to us in these ways. And that's what grandma, grandma, grandma said. But... They're all dead now. No one's heard from God in a long, long time. And then suddenly, an angel appears to a handful of misfit shepherds out in a field in the middle of the Middle East. And the glory of God shone around them. Can you imagine what that moment was like? The glory of Almighty God is surrounding shepherds the lowliest of society. And God is speaking to them. And of course they're afraid. They're filled with fear. It's God Almighty. And the angel says, fear not. I love that. The first words God has spoken in 400 years are, fear not. And he says, for behold, I bring you good news. I've got good news. What is the good news? Let's look at the text, okay? Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Let's commit this to our hearts over the next few weeks. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And here it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The good news is that a Savior is born. That's the good news, right? A Savior has been born. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So after 400 years, God breaks through the silence with some good news. He has sent His Son. The curtains to this heavenly drama open... A new scene begins, an angelic choir comes in and shouts, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Right? Glory to God and peace to men. That's what this moment of good news is all about. It's all about, let's right the ship 
for 400 years and even longer than that we've been off course but here's how life is supposed to look here's how God intended it glory to God and peace with men that's what God is saying to us after these years of silence but how he announces this moment is incredible to me it's a pattern that God will continue revealing his extraordinary nature to ordinary people that's you and me, you know, we're, we're the lowly of lowly. And yet God has seen fit to show himself to us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But it's by his grace. If you've received an invitation to know our king, it's not because of anything in you. It's just because of who he is. Here's the good news. God has come. And He has come to interrupt your world. He's come. So Jesus is born. So here's the deal. If you're thinking through, how do I tell this good news in 60 seconds? I want to equip you for that, okay? So I want you to uh, take some notes. Can you find a pen? Find some paper? I want you to write this down. This hopefully will be helpful for you. We're going to use the word gospel. We're just going to walk through this as an acronym, G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ who's come as a baby at Christmas, grew to be a man, lived perfect life, died on the cross in your place, rose from the dead a few days later, and has called a people to share the gospel, the good news, that anyone can be saved. They place their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you just a summary statement of the gospel as we um, begin. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins and rose again. He has he is forever victorious over the curse and guilt of sin, the power of sin, the paralyzing shame of sin. He's conquered it all. His death purchases your forgiveness and His resurrection offers you hope. For anyone who truly believes on Jesus, there is now no condemnation but everlasting joy. I know that was way more than you can write down. <laughs> so let me walk through it quickly again. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins and rose again. He is forever victorious over sin. It's guilt, it's power, and it's shame. His death has purchased Forgiveness and His resurrection offers you hope. And for anyone who truly believes on Jesus, there is now no condemnation but everlasting joy. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, how do you communicate that? How do you share that with somebody? So I want to give you gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. I want to just give you, um, is that six? Yeah, six letters. 
Six letters quickly walking through the gospel to help you kind of get it in your mind, some handles. And of course, you don't have to spell this out. You know, it's probably best that you don't in conversation go, okay, G is for God. (laughs) You know, O is, don't do that. But as you're talking through it, just think it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the expanded view first. And then when we finish, I'm going to hopefully demonstrate 60 seconds to share the gospel. Okay? That's what I want to do. So practically today, my goals are to give you clarity on what this message is. To remind you of the urgency to tell it. And call you to action. That's what I want to accomplish. So the gospel, starting with G. The gospel begins, the good news of the gospel begins with God. God's character. That's the beginning point of the gospel. God's character. Listen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Right? The beginning point of the gospel is God. God is the initiator of the good news. He's the one who starts everything into motion. He's the one who created and He's going to be the one to restore. He does it all. God's character. From the beginning of time, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about our God is holy and righteous and just. Who is He? He's perfect. He is perfect. There is none like our God. God's character. If you read um, in Ephesians chapter 2, what we find in Ephesians chapter 2 is sort of a narrative that explains the impact of the gospel. This is what happens to you when you believe the gospel. This is sort of how we experience the good news. Who we were what happened to us, and who we are now. When, when you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you become a child of God, this is what has happened to you. So read Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Let's just read this together. First uh, handful of verses. Listen to who you were. And you were dead. Let that ring out in your heart for a minute. And you were Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But listen to verse 4. This is where it gets good. But God... And it tells us about his character right here. Being rich in mercy. And because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's pause there. Ephesians 2. So the first point of the gospel is that God is holy and righteous and just. And He's the one who's, who's moving to rescue. He's the one who is actively pursuing people. For God so loved the world that God sent His only Son. We must have a glorious view of God. If we don't, we will have a small view of the gospel. 
If we have a small view of our God, we'll have a small view of the gospel. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a danger. Um, there's a variety of the gospel now that's being proclaimed and preached that's um, all about your health and your wealth and your prosperity. You might know it by the prosperity gospel. But it's no gospel at all. Because here's what it says. It says if you, um, if you get God, God will give you these other things. And God becomes not the creator in all His majesty, but rather He becomes your butler or your waiter who gives you all the things your heart already wants. And the truth of the gospel is that God is the reward of the gospel. When you get to heaven, it's not about getting to have a juicy steak every day or playing golf all day long. It's, it's not the fulfillment of your earthly desires times ten. It's not an exponential fulfillment of earthly pleasure. Heaven is that you get God. You get God and He's glorious. He's all we ever need. We read Psalm 16 this morning and it says, In God we have everlasting joy. At His right hand is everlasting joy. God is not our means to an end. He is the end and the means. God's character, G, O, is the offense of sin. The offense of sin. So here's what's happened. We have an almighty God who's created us. He's made us in His image. He's, he wants us to worship Him, to honor Him, to live for Him. And, and he, he wants to celebrate and, and enjoy relationship together. But you know what happened? He told Adam and Eve, if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. They did. And so have we. Every man that's ever lived apart from Jesus has sinned against a holy God. And I, this is an um, act of rebellion in our own will. I think we're hesitant to really call it that, but we love our own autonomy. You remember this? Autonomy versus authority. God is the authority. He is the ruler of all creation, but we love our autonomy. And when God says, don't do that, if you do that, it's going to kill you. Just like children, except we're sons of disobedience, as Ephesians describes us. We, uh, we say, oh, don't do that? Oh, yeah, okay. And there's, But it's not just that when I say the offense of sin, I'm not just talking about that God's offended, His feelings are hurt. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a holy God who is the righteous judge of all time has been offended. And in our efforts to reach people with the gospel, we often gloss over our sin and the severity of it. Most unbelievers, most of us even, probably think about our sin and we probably think it's really not that big a deal. And I want to... I want to put a heavy hand right here for just a moment. When God was rescuing Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah, He told them, He said, listen, when you get out of that city, don't even look back. What happened? Lot turns and with a glance, God turns her into a pillar of salt. One look! 
it's not that big a deal, is it? It is to an almighty, holy, righteous God. Or, or what about the time in, uh, in Numbers chapter 15 that the Lord told Moses that there was a man who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath and Moses is to execute him. They're to execute him. He's to be executed for, for picking up some sticks. Why? Because God said, don't do that. And it doesn't matter what we presume. Well, this is, that's not that bad, right? I'm just going to pick up these few sticks, God. I said, don't. Authority. But we love our autonomy. There's this offense of sin. And we are all, all of us, have a rebellious spirit within us. What about a man named Uzzah? <laughs> this guy, poor guy, man. He struck down because he tried to catch the Ark of the Covenant when it's falling and he touches the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, they're carrying it and somebody trips and they stumble and the Ark, God says, don't touch it. If you, anybody who touches it's going to die. This guy tries to catch it. And as soon as he touches the Ark, dead. It's unbelievable how God displays himself, himself all through the Scriptures as the one who will not and cannot tolerate sin. And if we think that's an Old Testament thing, we don't have to get very far in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira come to the church and they say, hey, we sold some land and here's all the money that we sold the land for. The Apostle Peter says, that's all the money? Why, why are you lying? No one's told you, you you have to give all of that money. Why don't you just tell us the truth? That's not all the money, but you, you want some glory for yourself and you are lying to the Spirit of God. Dead. And they came in separately and so the husband came in and died first and then the wife came in. They had obviously conspired together to tell the same story. She comes in later, tells the same story and he says, the guys who carried out your husband are going to carry you out too. You've lied to God. It matters. And a holy God will not tolerate sin. Not one little bitty white lie. It's not okay. And the tragic news of it all is we are all condemned by our sin. Every one of us. We have offended an almighty God. We need to be rescued and the terrible news is we can't do it ourselves. We need a Savior. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. Christ the Lord. So S is a Savior, but He's, I want to tell you this word, Sufficient. The sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. Here's the thing. No one else could save you. You cannot save yourself. And much as I love you, I cannot save you. No one can save you apart from Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? What sets Him apart from any? What sets Him apart from Buddha or Muhammad or the religions of the world? What sets Jesus apart? Who is He? He's not a man. He's not just a man. The uniqueness of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, we're talking about a baby who's born of a virgin. It's a scandalous birth, right? 
I mean, you read the story, you gotta, you got to like relate to Joseph a little bit and just think, you know, when Mary comes to him and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Can you just imagine that conversation? I mean, Joseph's probably like, what? Because he knows how that happens. And he knows it's not happened with him. What are you talking about? And the Bible says that he thought he was an honorable man. And he thought about putting her away privately to honor her. But then she told him and the angel told him, Joseph, she's not cheated on you. This child, God, has put in her womb. This child is unique. He's not just another boy. He's God in the flesh. You see, we've offended a holy God and He could have just destroyed all of us. But He sent His Son, a Savior, to save us. He sent His only Son. So Jesus is God, and yet He is man. The Bible says He's the seed of a woman. He's born of a woman. Mary is a a young woman marrying a man named Joseph. And we read Joseph's lineage, and Joseph is of the line of David. And so Mary has, has that same lineage, and so does Jesus. And so all the Old Testament prophecies, it's amazing. There's over 600 of them, prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills every one of them. It's amazing. I mean, even down to the fact that he told his disciples at the last time, he said, hey, we're going to have a supper, but I need you to go into the town and get a, get the, you know, find this guy. Let me give you some details. He coordinated every little detail. Jesus rode in on a cult that was prophetic Jesus fulfills every prophecy he is uniquely divine he's God's son he's also a man but he's not just any man he's a sinless man he never sinned Bible says that uh, he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin so that's who he is what has he done well Jesus died in your place You see, from the beginning, the penalty and punishment of sin is death. That's what God told Adam and Eve. If you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. And then the only way to cover their sin, they tried. You know, they took fig leaves and they tried to cover their nakedness. But what did God cover them with? The skins of animals. Well, how did He get skins of animals? There was a sacrifice made. Blood was shed. The only way to cover the shame of your sin is by the death of an innocent one. And the Old Testament is riddled with things, truths about how this happens and how God has prescribed for people to do this, to become right with God. But all of those things in the Old Testament are pointing to the fulfillment of one who will come, who He alone is sufficient to save. And this is the good news. He has finally come. A Savior who's sufficient to save. So Jesus has done everything necessary to rescue us from our sin. But it's not automatic. You don't automatically um, get saved. Just because everything's been done and He's died to rescue the whole world, people are not automatically saved. There is P, a personal response. When, When you hear this news, 
It's not just information for you to digest and receive. That's what the demons do. You know, the Bible says the demons believe. They even shudder with fear. They tremble. The demons understand. They know the truth. But that's not the kind of faith that will save you. It's not just about receiving information about a baby who was born. It's an invitation to receive Him, to believe in Him, to put all of your faith and all of your hope in what He did on the cross. There's a personal response, and it's, it's faith. It's not just... You might would think God would say, if you want to be saved, here's what you need to do. Love your neighbor well. Be kind. Be generous. Do these things. And all those things are good, but they're not unto salvation. They're as a result of salvation. The salvation we receive in God is by faith alone. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. It's by grace through faith you've been saved. Why? Because faith is the anti-work. That's what the Bible says. It's by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not a work lest anyone should boast. No one's going to get to heaven and go, I'm so glad I did whatever. We're going to be with God and we're going to say, I'm so glad He did what He did. Faith is believing in what has been done, not in what you can do. So there's a personal response. E, eternal urgency. An eternal urgency. I want to say this quickly. The good news of the gospel is only news if it's shared, and it's only shared, it's only good if it's shared in time. Let me, hear this, let me say this again. The good news of the gospel is only news if you say it. And it's only good news if you say it in time. N- none of us are promised tomorrow. Let me scale it back. Take a breath. You're not promised another one. God's not obligated to give you one more breath. It was by His grace you just breathed in and breathed out. And our friends and our family, our brothers, our sisters, our cousins who do not know this gospel, there's an urgency to tell them. And the urgency is this. Anyone who does not believe, the wrath of God remains on him. John 3.36, if you want a note for that. John 3.36, that's what it says. Anyone who does not believe this gospel, the wrath of God remains on him. Eternal urgency. And then lastly is life transformation. Life transformation. This gospel demands your life be changed. It would be like you getting hit by a Mack truck and and getting up and, you know, going on with your day. It doesn't happen. The gospel is like a Mack truck. When it hits you, your life is radically changed. And if your life has not been radically changed, you may not be believing the gospel. So let me wrap this up. The gospel is good news for your past. I'm just going to give you a quick little summary and then we'll give you 60 seconds. You ready? The gospel is good news for your past. All of us have a past. The gospel is good news for your past. You can be forgiven. That's justification. 
But the gospel is good news for your future. Jesus died and resurrected. He rose from the dead to say, hey, if you trust in me, you can have a future that's eternal, that's forever, without doubt, I guarantee. And how do I guarantee it? I'll raise from the dead and show you what it's like. And it's good news for today. Every day you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Sanctification. So justification your past. Glorification your future. Sanctification today. The gospel's good news every day. 60 seconds. I want to walk through this with you. G-O-S-P-E-L, right? You ready? You timing me, Justin? Okay. Give me, give me, a, um, like, give me a, a notice when I'm done. Okay. Ready? Set, go. All of us are in trouble and we need to be saved. We've all sinned against the holy God. He's holy and righteous. God's character, he's, he's amazing. He created all of creation to worship him, but we offended a holy God. And the Bible says God cannot tolerate sin. He will not let sin go unpunished. So he sent his son Jesus that in your place he would punish his own son. The Bible is crazy. It says it pleased God to crush his own son. It's not that it pleased him in some weird sadistic way. It's that it satisfied his wrath. The wrath of God was satisfied by his son, Jesus. But it's not automatic for you. It's not automatic for me. We must personally respond in faith and trust that Jesus has done everything necessary. And there's, we're not promised tomorrow. So believe in Him today. And if you do, He'll change your life today, tomorrow, and forever. Minute five. five. G-O-S-P-E-L. God's character. The offense of sin. There's a Savior who's been born and lived and died in your place. There's a personal response that this gospel demands There's eternal urgency. We're not promised tomorrow. And if you believe, it will change your life. So I want to call you to action, just like uh, this angel did in Luke chapter 2. He said, uh, here's good news. There's a baby that's been born, and you will find him. What does that mean? It means get up and go. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. Go. Jesus said the same thing when He left us with this gospel. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. 